The New Testament reading this morning is for a parable from Matthew, and it's chapter 18, and we're starting at verse 21, and the, this version of the Bible calls it the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dinars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, a um, couple of preliminaries as we come to uh, verse 12 of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, I was going to point out it is the only section of the Lord's Prayer that is, includes a proposition. It's a, there's a statement there. It's not just a request. There is a, a, something we're to do. We, we forgive others with declaring that we forgive others um, uh, their sins against us. Uh, um, it's the only line in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus circles back to. There's got to be something important going on there, doesn't it? Verse 14, if you forgive men when they forgive you, uh, sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Um, I'll also point out that it's, um, <coughs> uh, it's, it's plural. It's our. We're confessing our sins and the ways in which we've sinned against one another. 
So it might just be helpful to acknowledge that there's a, a very topical elephant in the room, isn't there, with, with me and Scott and this very public disagreement and, and issue that we've had over the, the last few months. And um, people have very kind of graciously and, and wisely written to both of us, kind of pleading for us to be reconciled over the, the last few months. And um, I, I certainly, I know Scott was, was very keen to offer that forgiveness. Um, I was keen to ask for it. Uh, <coughs> I think we both... Um, so there, there are kind of reasons we both kind of find it hard to understand how it got so complicated, but it, there were particular factors that made that very difficult uh, to bring about and made it all the more wonderful and supernatural that uh, Scott was able to um, uh, grant forgiveness to me. So, so it's kind of it's topical, it's raw, it's awkward. I think that's an invitation to press into that, isn't it? Rather than kind of shy away from it. Um, C.S. Lewis. Who's, who's always got a good quote on everything, hasn't he? C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Isn't, isn't that true? Isn't that helpful? It's so painful doing it for real. Um, so let's, let's do it. We're, we're, kind of, we're playing with live ammunition here, aren't we? We're talking about the stuff of real lives. Um, let's uh, dive into the puzzle of forgiveness, what I'm calling the puzzle of forgiveness. I've basically got three headings um, they're all preliminaries uh, to one very short final application, which I've already said, which is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, the puzzle of forgiveness. The puzzle of forgiveness is that we, we kind of have these evangelical shibboleths, don't we? There are certain things we all know are true. We've heard it seen so many times. We've seen it on posters and, and we, we've kind of quoted it. And, and we say a lot, don't we, that God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. We all know that, don't we? God, God's love is unconditional. It's one of the, the, the kind of 101s. It's one of the first things we hear when we, when we become a Christian. His love for us is unconditional. What's the puzzle of forgiveness here? The puzzle of forgiveness is that it looks an awful lot like Jesus is putting a condition on forgiveness. Verse 14, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins. Now, when we've got, come across something in the Bible that doesn't fit our framework of what the Bible teaches, we've got to step back for a moment. And, and, and we've got to ask the question, Does it? Is it that I've misunderstood what this particular verse is saying? Do I need to look at it again in context? Do I need to check what, what it actually means? Or is my framework wrong? And I think this is one of those times when our framework is wrong. Unconditional is not a good word to describe God's love. Now, I know what it's trying to get at. I think what it's trying to get at is saying God's love is not conditional. You, you know people who have conditional love for you. They, 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 will, they will be nice to you if you play the game on their terms and you give them what they want. Well, they will, they will push back something nice towards you. Uh, uh, and if you cross their rules, well, then forget it. And God is not like that. So we're not saying God's love is conditional. And yet unconditional isn't quite the right word either, is it? Because there are conditions attached to God's love. If we, are, if we want his forgiveness, well, one condition is that we repent of our sins. Another is that we believe in the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself is the one who says that, that, that following him is a narrow path. He puts uh, there's kind of tight boundaries along it. Uh, and, and there is another condition that he gives us here, which is that if we are forgiven people, we are to forgive others. 
not not that somehow we earn forgiveness by 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 kind of forgiving others, but but that forgiven people forgive. That that that's the kind of dynamic as we receive forgiveness. If you are truly forgiven, that that will flow out. Now, um, what is uh, uh, going on here? Um, I take it Jesus is saying if we pray with unforgiveness and bitterness and resentfulness in our hearts we might as well pray to god god please don't forgive me um i um, picked up this book uh, uh this week um i got about halfway through it found it very helpful brad hambrick uh making sense of forgiveness um it just describes the kind of thoughts that are, are tied into unforgiveness i thought this was really insightful he said unforgiveness says some combination of i want bad for you I would be disappointed if good things happened to you. I want you to suffer in ways that are comparable to how you made me feel. You are a distraction from me enjoying a good day. The world would feel more morally out of order if good things happened to you. Whereas forgiveness says some combination of, I want good for you. I want you to come to know God's forgiveness and freedom. I want God to change you into the kind of person who would not do again what you did, and then I want you to flourish. I want the freedom to enjoy the good things in my life without comparing them to the good things in your life. I thought that was really insightful. So there is a condition attached to receiving God's forgiveness, which is another way of saying what we need is something better than unconditional love. We, We might call it contra conditional love uh, not unconditional but undeserved love uh, see see unconditional love is a bit it's just a bit semi-skimmed and and kind of weak and feeble it's, it's kind of unconditional love sees sees someone in 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 the mess that they're in and kind of sends them some good vibes and leaves them there God's love is, it sees us in the mess, moves towards us, and refuses to leave us there. His love is a transforming love. So he meets me as a rebellious, smug, self-satisfied, self-seeking, self-obsessed, self-glorified sinner. And he lavishes his love on me. And, and Jesus uses here the language of debts that the kind of five basic Perhaps this is the basic metaphor for forgiveness in the New Testament is, is of a debt. Uh, God has, uh, I, I, have, I, I owe God this enormous incalculable debt that I could never repay and he has cancelled it. Not because I've earned it, not that I kind of paid it off by, by forgiving others, but that I am forgiven in order uh, for that forgiveness to flow out to other people. So as we come to pray the Lord's Prayer, each time we pray, there ought to be a kind of road bump as we pray. It it just slows us down, doesn't it, to say, is there anyone who who in my heart at the moment, I I just don't want to forgive? Maybe they've said sorry, however inadequately, and I'm going to, I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grant them any kind of of forgiveness here. Or or actually, I I don't even want them to, to come and say sorry, because then I might have to. I, I, where is where is that dynamic going on in our hearts, and and where are we want do, do we do we want to kind of go to work on that? Um, Martin Lloyd Jones puts it particularly bluntly. Um, we might want to add some nuance, but the, the gist of this I think is right. Um, he says the proof is uh, sorry the proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. If we think that our sins are forgiven by God and we refuse to forgive somebody else, we're making a mistake. We have never been forgiven. 
The man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He can't help himself. If we really know Christ as Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard. We cannot refuse forgiveness. If you're refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest you have never been forgiven. Um, that is that is pretty strong stuff, isn't it? And and so we've, we've got this puzzle of forgiveness that Jesus, who we've always been told offers unconditional love, puts a condition uh, on forgiveness. And I take it that means it is not that our, our forgiveness is conditional. It is that our forgiveness is undeserved. I think that's the right word. When Josie talked at the start about different definitions of grace and mercy, what is grace? Grace is being given the good things by God that I don't deserve. What is mercy? Mercy is, is not receiving the bad things that I do deserve. Either way, it's undeserved. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, the puzzle of forgiveness. There is a condition attached. Um, second, the insult of forgiveness. And I just want to invite us to, to take this on the chin. Um, so sometimes, um, well, normally when, when preachers preach on forgiveness, I think I've preached um, these sermons before, we kind of start with the pain of forgiving someone else, it is a really hard thing to do. And, and it's worth just kind of saying up front, like forgiveness starts with being hurt. And as soon as we're talking about forgiveness, we are straight away talking about a category one top tier offense. See, that there are some things we don't need to forgive. If someone has quirks, we don't forgive quirks. We overlook quirks. You know, maybe they stand too close to you when they're talking to you. Maybe they've got bad body odor. Maybe they chew their food too noisily. We, we don't need to forgive that. We, we overlook that. And we excuse mistakes. So if after coffee, uh, if after service we've got tea and coffee, and we do have tea and coffee. I was meant to say that. We weren't sure whether we would, but we did. Sorry. Uh, let's bring the notices into the sermon. Um, so in this tea and coffee that we are now going to have, let's say I'm getting some squash for the boys. And I'm trying to carry too many. I've got three in my hand. And, I, and, and I'm quite a clumsy person at the best of times. And I trip. And I spill it all over you. And, and what do I need to do? I've got to apologize. That, they, that was, uh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I do apologize. Maybe I help you clear up. Maybe I pay the dry cleaning bill. I need to apologize. And, and when, when someone's made a mistake, well, we're called to excuse mistakes. But, but if I'd been standing next to you and what you'd said had annoyed me so much that I picked up the squash jug and I poured it all over your head, now we're in the territory of forgiveness. And now I need to ask forgiveness but because it's, we're dealing with sin. And, and, and there's something deeply insulting about that. Because when we preach our, our sermons about sin, someone has sinned against you, um, as preachers, we're normally not as nuanced and as careful as we need to be. There's all kinds of nuances that I'm not really going to go into today. What do we do if it's in a situation where, where there's abuse going on? Um, are, what is, are we always called to, to have a relationship restored and reconciled to where it was before? I, I don't know that we are. What if the other person is unrepentant? Those kind of things. But, but Jesus, notice, is not starting with, with us needing to forgive someone else when they've done wrong to us. His starting point is that we need to be forgiven. Um, uh, and, and just see how the Lord's Prayer is structured. Have a look down with it. If you've got it open, um, page 970, you have the, the, we address our prayer to, far, to our Father in heaven. That's our starting point. You then have six requests. Three of them are about God's glory, uh, his name, his kingdom, his will. And then you have three about our needs. The first one is about bread because you and I are frail weak 
physical needy people. We need bread, we need water, we need oxygen, we need money to pay the rent, we need um, what, what we need to get through the month. We, we have physical needs. The second request is about forgiveness for past sins, and the third is about um, protection from future sins. So Jesus boils down, out of all the thousands of needs that I could, I could think of, all the things that I need and want right now, he boils it down to carbohydrates, forgiveness of past sins, and protection from future sins. And there is something deeply insulting about that. It's, it's just demeaning. Really interesting. When I've, I've talked to people about why I'm leaving the Church of England, um, uh, some people have, have kind of said, and I think they've been genuine in, in saying it's kind of that they respect me standing up for what I believe in, which I think is code for I totally disagree with what you believe in, but people have said it in a way that is, sounds genuine. Um, others have said, yeah, actually, do you know what? I, I agree with you um, on, on kind of that marriage is, is um, between a man and a, a woman. That's kind of God holds the copyright on that. But, but it's interesting. A number of people, Christians, have said, Simon, you can't say that. You cannot say that, that, that people who are having sex outside of marriage are doing something that is sinful. It's just demeaning. It's derogatory. It's insulting um, to, 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 to label someone as a sinner doing something sinful. That is, that is just not okay. That's not the gospel. That's not how Jesus talks. And because I've just had enough uh, of those conversations over the last few weeks just to kind of make me feel this is an issue we need to talk about, let me just ask the question, are we still happy to own that label for ourselves? See, when, when someone becomes a Christian, they often pray what's called the sinner's prayer. And the first line of that goes something like, Lord God, I admit that I am a sinner. And I just want to ask as gently as I can this morning, are we still happy to own that label? So that one of my fundamental identities before God by nature is as a sinner that I walk through God's world blithely ignoring my creator, that even as, even as a Christian, um, you, know, you know when you go to the beach or, or a swimming pool as a kid and you, you've, got the, you've got a beach ball and you, you push it underwater and you push it down and you push it down and, and it just kind of bursts back up and it's a great game. That's, that's what my sin is like as a Christian. Isn't that true for you as well? Kind of, I push it down, I push it down, I hate it, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. I keep finding it, I keep finding it and boom, up it comes again. That's, that's who we are. Are we still happy to hear Jesus insult us like this? Tell us the, first, the second thing we need to ask for as we come before our Heavenly Father, as we pray for ourselves, is forgiveness of our sins. I was thinking the other day, I, I wonder what my, my legacy uh, what, what would be leaving St. James. You know, a couple of hundred years ago, people might, might have put up a plaque in, you know, in gratitude at, at um, you know, Simon Tompkins leaving. Um, which could be read two ways, couldn't it? It could be read, you know, you, Simon is the greatest vicar we've had in the 800 years of St. James, or it could be he is the worst vicar that we've had since that guy at the Reformation who tried to poison the vicar of Bartomley. Um, so did, did you know that story? Wallace told me, and he told me it on the authority of Audley Family History Society. So that's two authorities that no one can argue with. It's got to be true. Um, there was a vicar of Audley at the Reformation who tried to poison the vicar of Bartomley. Um, I completely lost where I was going with that. Yes, um, that, um, 
You know, what, what, what would be the, the equivalent Facebook post now? If you wanted to put up a really accurate summary, or someone just asks you in conversation, what, you know, what, what, was, what was that Simon Tompkins like as a vicar? I'd say just tell, just tell them the truth. He was a sinner, a very messed up sinner, in constant need of forgiveness. That would be a pretty accurate summary. Are we still happy to own that label for ourselves? That we're sinners in need of forgiveness? Because if we are, well then, just wonderful, wonderful news. The relief of forgiveness, that undeserved love, is on offer. That is what the gospel holds out to us. That The precondition to receiving that mercy and grace from the Lord Jesus is acknowledging that we are sinners. But, but Jesus then, then just, he's so different to everyone else, isn't he? There are plenty of people who will love us when we've earned it, when we've done well, when we're top of the class, when we've been good, when we've been nice, when we've been clever, when we've um, been beautiful, when we're winners. But I'm a sinner, and I need undeserved love. And, and, and I need that because of the way the world is. Um, see, the, the tragedy of, of human life, the kind of the, the, the bitterest words, aren't they? They're the if only, those little two-word phrases, if only, or, or I, I wish, um, the regrets. And that, that there's just this irreversibility to how life goes. Um, I've got here, this is, um, this is my granddad's uh, book. He loved poetry. This was his favorite poem by his favorite poet, Omar Khayyam, um, Persian poet, and underlined uh, heavily. My, my grandfather wasn't a Christian, um, as far as I know. Um, wrote, uh, underlined next to this stanza, the moving finger writes, and having writ moves on, nor all thy piety nor wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor all thy tears wash out a word of it. You get, you get the idea? The hand of history is writing. It's writing. It's writing slow, steady, and it only ever moves in one direction. And when it's written something, when something's happened, you can't go back. Nor all thy piety. I could live a really, really good life from now on. And that would not cancel out that conversation that I had with Scott at Easter. I, could, I wish I could go back, redo it, say, say things more sensitively, more thoughtfully, more carefully. Can't do it. My, all my wit, I, I, I could try and imagine of really clever ways of doing that. I can't. Nor all thy tears wash out a word of it. If I'm really, really, really sorry, won't undo it. I imagine you've got relationships like that too. We live in a, a world that is, is full of broken relationships, full of regrets, full of guilt. We're in a world of, with, on fire with sin. And there is only one firebreak. And that firebreak is forgiveness. See, we, we, we know how conflicts go, don't, don't we? So let's, let's say Trevor and I have an argument. And... Um, uh, you know, he, he he gets very cross at, at something I've said, and uh, you know, I and, and he throws a jug of water over me, and I I um I don't know, I I throw a pot of tea over his toe, and then and then he comes and gets his mates to come around and and, and beat me up, and and then I get I get my mates to go around and burn his house down, and then his family come and kind of wipe out all my family, and we kind of think, oh, it's funny, isn't it? It's kind of there's a sort of comedy when we think about it like that. Except isn't that exactly what's going on in Russia right now? Isn't that just 
how, how, how conflicts escalate. And in common grace, God, God kind of keeps a lid on them. But in, in pretty much every house on your street, I guess that's going on. It's, that dynamic's going on at some level, isn't it? We escalate, we escalate, we escalate. The only firebreak in a world on fire of broken relationships is forgiveness. That is the only thing that breaks the chain. And the only hope for restored relationships in a restored world is forgiveness. And, and it's so helpful that Jesus uses the language of debts here. It just kind of makes sense to us. Imagine this huge sum of money. I, I, imagine I, I owe Barbara an enormous sum of money. And I can't repay it. She's only got two options. She can't turn around and say, okay, I'm going to make Josie pay it. She could, Justice says she can either make me pay it, or she can say, well, Ken and I will take it on ourselves. We'll pay the cost. We'll absorb the cost. If you've ever forgiven someone, you know that's what it's like, isn't it? It's not that the, it's not that the debt is cancelled and, and wiped out as if it never existed. It is that you yourself have absorbed that debt rather than making the other person pay. And that is the gospel. Because whatever it is, uh, 21 chapters after this in Matthew's gospel, the Lord Jesus goes to the cross to absorb the punishment, to pay the cost, to use that financial language of my sin. Uh, there are some kind of evangelical shibboleths that, that do work, aren't there? That he died uh, to pay a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. That's it, isn't it? Jesus paid a debt I could not pay. Uh, sorry, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. And there is something about the relief of a debt being paid off. Nicky and I, for the, the first time, we're having to kind of pretend to be grown-ups. You just get sheltered from the real world being a vicar. We've never had to worry about mortgages before. We're now trying to figure out a mortgage and just getting our heads around this and, and, and kind of just imagining what, what would it be like in 25 years' time to, to pay off a mortgage. Maybe, maybe there are folk here who've done that or, or maybe there was a kind of windfall inheritance and you were able to pay the whole thing off overnight. And to wake up and just know that debt is gone. What a relief. And, and so the debt that I owe to the living God, infinitely greater than any mortgage, we read it has been cancelled if I will trust in the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and the relief as, as that comes, we read in, in Christ that is all gone. What is the application? I take it the application is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, pray it daily. Why not find a way of building it into routine so that you know, if you get out a prayer diary or, or maybe you, if you can pray with a spouse or pray before meals. I, I, I'm kind of my temperamentally, I, I, I'm the kind of person who wants to know I've done the bare minimum. If I've got a crazy full-on day and I, I hardly have time to stop in the morning, what's the bare minimum I need to pray? I need to pray the Lord's Prayer. Here are the things I've got to make sure I've covered in one form or another. I need to ask God to help me with. Um, I need to, to pray for his uh, undeserved love, bigger and better than unconditional love, his transforming love for sinners that meets us in our sin and refuses to leave us there. And to, to say as we pray this prayer, Lord, my... My life, in one sense now, is about undeserved love. That's what I want it to be about, is I receive this, this love of the Lord Jesus who has paid the price for my sins. I want that undeserved love to flow out from me to those around me as I absorb the cost of, of their sins against me. Amen.